Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Voice Equals Power podcast, where we explore the big question, how does an artist find their voice? I'm your host, Nicholas Krolak. Today's guest is a guitarist, Darielle Peniazic. Since graduating from Temple University last year, where he studied with Warren Wolfe, Bruce Barth, Tim Warfield, Dick Oates, and Peter Bernstein, he has quickly become one of the most in-demand guitarists in Philadelphia. His responsive comping and deep knowledge of Afro-Cuban, Central, and South American styles has developed over the past few years and has added to his arsenal. This year, he was chosen for the prestigious 2019 Kimmel Center Jazz Residency, where he collaborated with his sister, poet, playwright, and lyricist, Maya Peniazic, to create a piece that explores his experiences of discovering his cultural identity as a Latino American. The world premiere of this work can be heard at the Kimmel Center on June 8, 2019. This is something you definitely don't want to miss. Tickets and more info can be found at KimmelCenter.org. Our conversation was recorded on a South Philly rooftop on a beautiful spring day with coffee in hand and all the sights and sounds you might expect. I've played a lot with Dariel over the years and I've always enjoyed his insights into a life of music. We bounce around a bit in this conversation, covering an array of topics from coffee to travel to weird gigs we've played to building guitars but we always come back to the ultimate goal, building community through music. We're chilling here on your roof deck in South Philly with Layla, the dog. What kind of dog is Layla? She's a Yorkie poo. Yorkie poo. Yes. She's chilling. Great dog. We're drinking, drinking some coffee. I actually wanted to start with talking about coffee. Okay. What, what do you think is the best coffee spot in Philly? Oh, my house. Your house. Yeah, I like the coffee that I make. There's an Ultimo near my house that I like a lot. I like yeah. Red Hook Cafe a lot, just in general, yeah. as, a, as a spot. Yeah, I don't know. I really like buying really nice coffee, yeah. good organic, fair trade, all of that, and making it at home is my favorite nice. way to what, what method do you use to make it? I've been recently into the AeroPress. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, um, are they called percolators? The mm-hmm. little metal things? Yeah. Yeah, like the little, the small size one? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I, I use that make one. make little lattes out of that. Yeah. That's the one I use. Also, Ultimo just opened up by me in Germantown. Oh, nice. It's a new one. So there's now three coffee shops in Germantown. Okay. I haven't tried it yet. It's pretty good. They've opened, they can open the doors to the thing, oh, which nice. is pretty neat. La Colombe, I like La Colombe, obviously. Yeah, that's they, like the I standard. I had an espresso there the other day, it was really, really good. Really good. Which one, the Fishtown? Another Fish one in Center City. Center City. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, that just like reminds me, I like, I just wanted to talk about coffee, because I wanted to reminisce for a second about our the gig we used to do at the, at the, <laughs> at the apartment <laughs> we used to building. do this gig um it was a sunday brunch at a it was like a luxury apartment complex right 
and the only redeeming thing about this gig was that there was a coffee shop in the lobby and we would just sit it had really play. good coffee yeah really good coffee yeah. and pretty much everybody that lived there didn't care about us at all except the coffee people yes people who worked at the coffee shop the baristas uh huh king of Prussia king of Prussia yeah that was a that was a weird gig uh huh we got to work on a lot of stuff though yes we that did was pretty neat yeah you've been been doing some traveling recently I have yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about your sure. travels. Um, well, I, let's see. I recently, in January, I was in Chile and Cuba. Mm-hmm. My mom is from Chile. Um, so I've only been two or three times. Mm-hmm. But this time was really special because uh, we went for a family reunion. So I met, um, you know, all of this family that I didn't even know that. I had honestly yeah and there was about there was all of our family from Canada a lot of my family lives in Canada too so everybody kind of came together in Chile for a week uh, for New Year's and stuff and there was about 40 of us yeah all hanging out in the same spot for for like a week so that was pretty wild and then from there I went to uh, Cuba which I go to I've gone to every year for the past three years mm-hmm. um, to do a mix of kind of studying the music but also at this point I've just developed a lot of relationships there and yeah. I go to visit my people and, and reconnect with them and I always just learn a lot about music and yeah life and perspective and yeah yeah what are, what are your what are a few of your biggest takeaways musically from being in Cuba oh wow well I uh, play an instrument called the tres mm-hmm. which is um, like an old Cuban folk instrument so that's kind of mainly what I go to study since it's an instrument that is pretty unknown to most of the world and is very rarely used except for in Cuba where everybody plays it so I've definitely learned a lot about playing that instrument and also I think the thing that I most appreciate musically about being there is the way in which music is intertwined with the culture and the everyday life and the fact that kids who you know, the, you, you can have kids who really couldn't, don't want to be musicians, mm-hmm. don't really care very much about the traditional music, yeah. but still know it just because it is so mm-hmm. deeply ingrained in the everyday. And everybody hears it all the time and everybody knows how to sing, everybody knows how to dance. Yeah. And I think that that is something that uh, we lack yes, we in do the lack United that States. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like most kids that are, <laughs> I'll, d- I'll tell this quick uh story of uh this time i was i was in tour uh on tour in uh in europe and i was uh playing at this jazz club in england and there was this table of maybe four or five like high school kids between between sets i went over to them i was like hey how's it going you know blah 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 oh you guys are musicians what do you play and they go oh we're not musicians we just felt like seeing jazz tonight and it just like blew me away right it's like anytime around here you you see um younger kids at a show it's like they're probably musicians musicians. yeah it's kind of well that shouldn't blow us away really you know it'd be nice if it was a more common occurrence although i will say that i think that is something that has particularly happened with jazz whereas you know there's a lot of great music that that yeah is out that youth really connect with and so i don't think that that's lost per se but it's definitely not a as culturally prevalent as yeah. it is in other places. Yeah. You know? 
I, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I feel like a lot of jazz groups and jazz artists want to put a lot of emphasis um, on building programs that bring jazz to schools, mm-hmm. and that's all well and good, but that's still not really like entwining it that the way you're uh, saying that they do in Cuba. Anything that you can think of that that we can do as like on just like on a personal level, just to help do yes. that. Yes, make yeah. it fun. Make it fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that that's one of the things. I, you know, I, I I'm really in love with and involved with um, a lot of South American music, and one big difference that I see is that, you know, when when in in places like Brazil and Cuba, I've never been to Brazil, but I've spent many many years kind of checking it, checking out the music and the culture mm-hmm. and I'm hoping to go within the next couple of years mm-hmm. it's just that the the music brings the party you know what yeah, I mean yeah, it's yeah. not so much about partying like like drinking or or, or getting wasted or anything like that but mm-hmm. it, it just more it brings like a, a spirit and an energy that yeah that even if you're not crazy about the music per se you can still feel that energy and dance and have a good time where I think that in jazz uh I'm not a a voice of of expertise per se. I don't mm-hmm. want to say that I am. I you know I've only been doing it for so long. But I feel that as a person of my generation, we need to get it out of the clubs that cost a lot of money, mm-hmm. where you're not allowed to talk, where it's this whole like kind of fancy sit down, because that those types of venues only attract people that are either musicians or people who are jazz lovers but it's not mm-hmm. inviting to the general public I would yeah. say yeah Absolutely. and especially not to the younger general public yes yes I don't bring dates to jazz clubs <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to show off how sophisticated yeah, you are yeah, no back to uh, bringing the party that's yeah. that's that's what I was thinking uh-huh. a thing I hear a lot from from non jazz insiders mm-hmm is when they go see somebody and they tell me about it they always comment on how much fun it seems that the band is having Mm -hmm. if the band is just buried in their stands and like doesn't look like they're having fun even if they are having a blast Mm -hmm. it doesn't translate that's actually something i've i've been working on just like in the practice room like I got. I got to look Smiling, up. I got to yeah. smile. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Definitely. After every four measures, I'm gonna smile. Yeah. You know, like, like I actually practice that. Practice like looking up, looking around. Um, especially as like a band leader. I want to talk a little bit about kind of like your progression over the past couple of years. Because when I first met you, I don't know if you know if you recall the first time we met, but. I'm pretty positive it was at El Bar. Could be. And it was at the El Bar Jam session, and I think we were playing Broadway. Also could be. And you just had like a, you're just like shredding it. You know, you're playing like it was like a kind of like a Jim Hall, Joe Pass kind of vibe, right. Archtop, right? Very bebopish. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we were at Temple at the same time, mm-hmm. which is you know bebop central yes but you have been so where 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 do you see yourself right now yeah i've changed a lot definitely especially 
actually over the past year since mm-hmm. finishing my degree and getting out of school, I think something that I am still uh, kind of dealing with and finding out is where do I feel like I culturally connect to most? Mm-hmm. You know because I, mean? I, I find that music music is about storytelling, yeah. you know? Um, and of course there's like a there's like a mechanical physical side to music but but ultimately it's about where like expressing who you are through mm-hmm. this language i think over the the you know as i got really into it's funny cuz for me i'm kind of a little bit in the middle of everything you know i grew up in a in a latin american household but my my mom is from chile my dad is from uruguay and neither of those are musical cultures that I would say that I particularly connect to. And then when I fell in love with uh, like Cuban and Brazilian music, which really has very little to do with me, mm-hmm. but I do feel like culturally has more to do with the way that I grew up than, mm-hmm. for example, uh, straight ahead jazz might. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't grow up around jazz at all. Yeah, neither did I. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't really even start playing any jazz until I was like 18 and so now I'm trying to kind of find a balance because I I I love playing jazz but I like you know everything that we were talking about before I really also I I love making people dance yeah you know and I also enjoy kind of I I enjoy pushing the boundaries of, of where things are so I think as as I went to temple which you did too and as you said it's a very uh it's very heavily based in tradition mm-hmm. that school and the people that teach there, I would say for the most part, are also heavily based in, in tradition, which I think is important. And I'm, I'm very grateful that I was kind of around that for a lot of years Yeah, because I think it was important for me as a musician. As I find myself in between a lot of traditions, I'm trying to find the ones that best pertain to me. And definitely my the way that I play and the way what I listen to and, and how I write has changed a lot. And I would not... You know, I would. I've moved very far from being like the purely straight-ahead mm-hmm. jazz player that yeah. I once was. So, absolutely. Yeah. I just want to go back to um, mention storytelling. Yeah. Is there anything outside of music that helps you kind of see that? Helps you see the story arc, whether it's like literature, movies, film, any anything like that, yeah. or anything outside of art too. Well, for me, it's always been. I think that. I think that my main strength in life probably even more so than music is just people Mm -hmm. and I know I think that everybody has their what you just said Mm -hmm. is very important I think everybody has their version of of what they kind of see music as a parallel to yeah I think my my biggest teacher um, has just been the things that I've lived and then also just having some opportunities to travel that I've had and meet people from all over the world and Mm -hmm is really just the stories that I hear from other people and seeing all of the the millions of different perspectives that exist and the way that that people view life has really um, profoundly affected the way that I play music I think Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what I try to bring with me and that's why I use the word storytelling because everybody has a story you know and you can kind of reflect this whole world of stories in your playing hopefully yeah that makes any sense it does so I want to talk about the the term Latin jazz okay how do you feel about that 
and how do you feel about how it's it's taught? Okay. Um, well, again, I wanna. I'm I'm not the uh, the ultimate source of information. Yes, you know, yes, yes, I'm, yes. I'm just learning. But um, for me, when I hear, I think I think when people say Latin jazz, it really depends who's saying it, right? So yeah. it's like. Um, most jazz musicians, mm-hmm. when they say Latin, so you, you kind of got to look at the history of it, yeah. I think. So if you look back to kind of like the earliest idea of Latin jazz or like what some people call like Q-bop, if you want to mm-hmm. get into genre-specific stuff, was like when Dizzy started his whole Latin jazz thing when he hooked up with Chano Pozo and, and did like his whole orchestra. And, and that, that kind of bred this um, this one line of latin jazz that was more jazz it's jazz with like some latin elements to it i think but i think it's much more in the way that it's played it's much more relevant to jazz Mm -hmm. then if you look at the other side for example take a band like iraquere which was like a popular cuban band how do you spell that uh i-r-a-k-e-r-e which was a popular cuban band that came out in like the late 70s early 80s um, they, you could also call them Latin jazz, but they're definitely much more mm-hmm. on the side of Latin music, you know. And they would play these, these huge concerts where that there were like dance shows, but but they were playing all this crazy fusion kind of yeah. jazz stuff. That was like the band that Chucho Valdez came up in and stuff like that. And um, a lot of a lot of really famous Cuban musicians like came out of Iraquere. So it's always it's always kind of just depends on on who you're with. When yeah. you say the word Latin jazz, like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're with Latin musicians, when you, and let's say you're trying to play something, there's a lot more rhythmic specificity that you can use. Like, I want to play, let's play this like a Lando, or let's play this like a, like a, you know, Abacua, whatever, whatever. There's a lot, of, there's so many different styles. Whereas when you're playing with jazz musicians, a lot of people just kind of say like Latin. Yeah, and there's yeah, yeah, this yeah, like yeah. kind of, mm-hmm. I'm going to use the word bland, uh, but it, not not always just there there's like this standard like latin grooves yeah. but i mean latin is a huge word mm-hmm. what does latin mean you know what i mean i mean it's like talking about a lot of different countries when you say the word latin yeah so, for sure so it kind of depends who you're talking to i think yeah yeah if you were to put together mm-hmm. like a course for straight ahead jazz players okay. to learn about latin jazz um, and this doesn't have to be like in the context of a school or anything. Right, right. This is like a very open yeah. question. How would you? Let's just like how would you start, or how would you? What would like the big framework okay. be? I, yeah. I mean, I would probably. I would start with Africa. Mm-hmm. You just have to. You just. I think when people talk about Latin jazz, like, you know, harmonically everything is coming from the same place. So like a lot of the a lot of the the harmony is coming from European music anyway. Mm-hmm. So you're really mostly just talking about rhythm. Yeah. So you really have to just pay attention to the development of rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would just kind of trace the roots and, you know, go back to the the slave trade and mm-hmm. where which countries received slaves from which African countries mm-hmm. and what were the styles of music that 
people were playing in those African countries as early as like the 1400s, 1500s, you know? Yeah. And how did those manifest in each individual country? Because in each Latin American country, there's a wealth of rhythm yeah. and different rhythmic styles. Um, so I would, that's kind of, I would just try to have people learn the specific rhythms that come from each country and where mm-hmm. they come from and why they're all connected. But mostly it's the, it's the rhythmic vocabulary. Yeah which is something that I think uh, a lot of American musicians don't like pay attention to is like the, specific, the, the specificity of the rhythmic vocabulary that come from different Latin American countries. Yeah. yeah. That reminds me a lot of a conversation I had um, when I took, a, I took this lesson with, with Madison Rast. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, is like my favorite bass player Great. in Philly. Great I love that dude. And like, I just moved to town and like, I took this lesson. I was like, hey man, can I take a lesson with you? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I stopped over to his house and we, were, we just like hung out for like hours. Yeah. And we just like, just hung out, played, chatted. And he he, um, he brought me to this, this big map he had of the world and like, just like kind of traced the slave trade and like mm-hmm. just went to this whole big thing and it just totally blew my mind at the yeah. time. And, um, it's cool that you're saying the same thing. Yeah, I mean, that's I where it all it. comes from, right? Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would you recommend to study with for somebody to that wants to learn about Latin rhythms in Philadelphia? In Philly? Yeah. It depends what what kind of, again, Latin rhythms is yeah, a yeah, huge yeah. word. Mm-hmm. So um, if you want to learn about Cuban music, there's a great percussionist named Arturo Stable that lives here. Um, there's another great percussionist named uh, Francois Zayas that lives mm-hmm. here. Those would probably be um, my two recommendations for Cuban music for people who live in Philly. Mm-hmm. Brazilian rhythms. Uh, I have a great friend named Dende Macedo mm-hmm. who lives in Germantown, actually. And uh, he is he's amazing. He played in, in like one of the most iconic Brazilian bands of the 90s called Chimbalada. Mm-hmm. And he, he can teach you particularly about Afro-Brazilian music. So, you know, less, not as much the music that comes from Rio and stuff, but he's from Bahia. So music mm-hmm. that comes from Bahia, which is a whole world within itself. Yeah. Um, but in general, Philly is not the place that I would go to yeah. to study so where Latin would you music. go? I mean, New York City. New York City. Yeah, and mm-hmm. New York City has everything. So that's where I would go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You mentioned uh, Arturo, um, and he has the... I actually wanted to talk to you about the the Not So Latin series. Yeah, I'm, I'm like the co-founder. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So basically, the, yeah. the Not So Latin Jazz series is mm-hmm. a is a house series that we run every Tuesday from uh, a house in South Philly, and it kind of started as an idea that um, Arturo, aforementioned, uh, and I had just that we wanted to have a venue to play our music every week without dealing with being mm-hmm. at a venue yeah and absolutely. without you know without everything that comes with that and we also we wanted to play our own like original jazz music and then also feature traditional latin american music which is mm-hmm. something that generally lacks in philadelphia yeah so it kind of started as this crazy thing he's got a beautiful house that has enough space and has all the instruments and stuff it's been almost a year now and it's really blown up yeah and it's been really really beautiful it's uh you know all of that it's become kind of a community event where all of the neighbors bring food it's byob and uh we usually have like 30 to 40 people there uh in this kind of small south philly living room and so usually we'll have two bands 
every Tuesday, with one of them usually being the house jazz trio, mm-hmm. which is um, Arturo and I and a usually a bassist named Alex Delcourt. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we've kind of just used it to try different music and bring Latin American music to Philly. And a lot of the times, we, we do a couple monthly events now. Mm-hmm. The first Tuesday of every month, we do a Cuban rumba which is always a lot of fun. And then the last Tuesday of every month, we just started the Naso Latin Big Band. Yeah. Which we're doing uh, a lot of like unconventional big band music. It's been really great. Very cool. Yeah, it's a really beautiful event. Yeah. How can, um, what would be the best way to follow that series? We have an Instagram, uh, mm-hmm. hashtag not so Latin. Hashtag not so Latin. One word. And a Facebook, not so Latin concert series. And yeah, th- those are the, probably the two best ways. We have a newsletter too. If you ever come, you can sign up for the newsletter. And we're working. We're actually working on. Um, we're in the process of trying to create a nonprofit. Cool. Stemming from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I first came over, you were working on a transcription. Say a little bit about the transcription you were working on and the guitar you were playing it on. Um. Well, I was just. I was just. Uh, stealing some things from from Lage Lund, who's a jazz guitarist that I like a lot. Uh, the guitar is actually a an acoustic guitar that I built um, myself with my father. At this point, maybe like ten years ago or so. Yeah, it was it was a great it was a present for me from my parents when I was younger. I didn't have an acoustic guitar, and we went and we actually took a class on how to build one, and it was like a, a week long you know, like 12 hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> we build it from pieces of wood. So, and it's the best acoustic guitar I've ever played. It's, yeah. It's, it's awesome. Would you ever build another one? No, probably not. Probably not. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot. I'll leave that to people that, that, that really yeah. know how to do it and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is just like an interesting, like other level of like connection that uh, we all have with our instruments. Mm-hmm. Does it have a name? It does not. It does not have a name. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do, you, do you normally name your guitars? I do not. You do not, yeah. yeah. Very cool. You've been out of school for about, uh, about a year? Almost a year. Almost, yeah. almost a year? Yeah, I guess so. And yeah. right out of the gate, you were picked for the, the Kimmel Center residency. The Kimmel Center, for those of you who do not know, is the, the premier concert performance space in Philadelphia. It's where the Philadelphia Orchestra plays, and uh, a lot of other things go on. Can you talk about a little bit about what the residency is and what your specific project is? Sure. So the Kimmel residency is basically a composer's grant uh, where they give you a grant to write new new music uh, loosely. I mean, they call it a jazz residency, but mm-hmm. I think that they use the word jazz rather loosely depending on your interpretation of it. Yeah. It's a really great opportunity. It's amazing that they do that because they basically just, you know, give you the funding to to do your to, to get your own project going um, in a prestigious venue with a built-in audience, and you're able to hire the people you want. And it's been a really uh, a great experience. My uh, project really started as a focus on the tres, on mm-hmm. the instrument that I was talking about earlier, and a, like combining Cuban music with what I have learned specifically in Philly, which is kind mm-hmm. of like a specific take on jazz and on R&B. A lot of it has to do with a lot of the R&B that's played in Philly, which is mm-hmm. like really prevalent here. So that's kind of what it started. And at this point, the project has 
really changed a lot into just kind mm-hmm. of my own take on music in general and it's been going really well i'm really excited about it our next show is the 18th of april the band features arturo stable on percussion mm-hmm. one of philly great drummer Kyrie yeah. shaheed on drums yeah. uh sam harris on bass tim bray on piano chris ashman who's an incredible steel pan player and trumpet player on steel pan and trumpet and then our singer is an amazing Cuban singer and pianist from who lives in New York, but who's from Cuba, named Ariadne Trujillo, who's just a, a, an amazing musician. And all the lyrics are being written by my sister, who's an amazing artist in her own right. Check her out, Maya Peniazic. Goes by Maya Pen. And yeah, and we have backup singers and and whole thing. So very cool. It's gonna be great. So the next performance is the 18th. 18th of April, 18th. and then the last performance is the 8th of June. And then hopefully there will be a record. Not yeah. hopefully. There will, there be, will a be a record, record coming out within the next year and a half or so. Very cool. Yeah. What stages of, of record stuff are you in? Just very big. Yeah. No, not even. Not yeah. even there yet. <laughs> cool. Not even there yet. Just get doing the shows first. Doing the shows. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's great. I, I always enjoy seeing when and how artists use like one platform mm-hmm. to make another thing. Mm-hmm students who are who are at temple like using the recording studio there to like make an ep and then the jump to the next thing and the next thing i think that's a really great kind of skill to have to be able to make one project last for a while in a couple different iterations and let it evolve as it needs to evolve you mentioned that the uh using the trace in the in this in your kimball center residency how has that been factored in kind of on like the like technical level well originally i was gonna like put the tres in all of these different contexts Mm -hmm. for which it's not normally used like try to play all this jazz stuff r&b and as i found out it doesn't really work that well so uh it's kind of an instrument that really is suited for what it's suited for so i'm I'm doing a couple things with it that are Mm -hmm. uh, a little different and then on top of that me being not not from Cuba and didn't grow up playing the tres like I still have so much to to learn from just playing it traditionally that pushing yeah. it past there right away feels mm-hmm. a little like artificial in a way you yeah. know to the instrument but it's cool no I'm using it for some for some different things and I think it will come off well but the instrument has such a particular sound yeah that it's really hard to 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 mm-hmm. you know kind of get past just the sound that it has yeah yeah is it is the uh how is it um like kind of set up on, on the technical thing like how i'm assuming there's three thir- three strings there's actually six strings, six strings. yeah okay. but they're doubled doubled so there's okay. only three you know it's tuned mm-hmm. in, in in open c mm-hmm. for the musicians listening yeah so it's uh g c and e and it's really has like like the way that their strings are strung is there's an octave pair and then there's a unison pair and then there's another octave pair. So it's really it's really odd. It's just, you know, it's like the, it has about two octaves total mm-hmm. on the whole instrument, really. Kind, barely. But it just has a, 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 a has a great sound. Where is, what is like a, a recording you would recommend to, that highlights? Ooh, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of my favorite treseros, is what mm-hmm. they call people who play the tres, I would say um, the, my, my all-time favorite is a guy named Cesar Echavarria, but they call him El Lento. How do you spell that? 
Uh, which one? Which part of it? Elento. E L. Yeah. And then L E N T O. See it like the 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 slow, the smooth, the smooth. Or like yeah, the the, the patient one is the really like one. yeah. yeah that makes sense. Nobody really plays like he does. Um, so he's one of my favorites. You know, in terms of older people, you have people like Eliades Ochoa and and like the whole everybody who played in Buena Vista, Arsenio Rodriguez. There's so there's a lot of great tres players now that are like Pancho Amat is kind of considered the the greatest by a lot of people. How does it like traditionally function? Like a, like so like a, basically like the tres. Uh, is the original instrument on which montunos were played, mm-hmm. which are kind of like the rhythmic accompaniment in in a lot of Latin music, salsa, son. But so the tres, the earliest, the earliest stuff that you would hear on the tres is is a couple genres like nengon, uh, kiriba, and changui that come from the east of of Cuba that were like kind of the original styles played on the tres. That's in like the late 1800s. Mm-hmm put this question out there okay because it's it was actually the original Uh the original original idea i had Uh wasn't a podcast okay it was a short interview like very short interview written interview okay uh and was called it was going to be called how do you hear how do you i was going to interview different people that use their ears for a living not necessarily musicians oh shit and ask them like how do they hear I think that's a better idea than interviewing me. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I disagree. But um, one, how do you hear? Mm. Two, how can I ask that better? I think that's a great way to ask it. Okay, Um, cool. Good. How do I hear? How do you hear? Yeah. I think that I just I think I think I try to hear that's a that's a really that's a, that's a hard question yeah I think I think that I don't know my take on it I guess my answer to that question which may be a little abstract mm-hmm. is that you know I think that we're all just basically summations of our experiences in yeah. life right so I think that what we hear is just a big combination of what we've heard Mm-hmm. So, because we don't generally hear things that that we've never heard before, you know yeah. what I mean? Does that yeah. does that make any sense? It's yeah. like we're talking musically, particularly like that. But I think, yeah, I think I just, I, yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good question. Yeah, I, yeah. and I I, I want to ask. She's like everybody I interviewed right. that, just for me. I remember talking to. Um, to David Wong about it, and he he, he kind of stressed how not specifically he heard things, mm. and how kind of general it was, and which I, I found very um, kind of striking because I thought he, he would just, could like just hone in on like a note that was like in the middle of a bunch of notes or whatever, but um, yeah, he he seemed make it seem more of a like a general thing yeah i mean i think i think i totally yeah i guess it depends on what context you're asking that question Mm -hmm. you know like if it's a musical thing then i would probably agree with him too Mm -hmm. like if you're talking about ear training or something like that then it's more like i definitely also hear generally yeah like i I hear things in in like textures a lot Mm -hmm. of the times like oh this is this is this sound Mm -hmm. this is this vibe but i also try to hear 
things like very I've, I've tried to relate music to language my whole mm-hmm. life um, so I try to hear things very conversationally too. yeah like like what what is being said and what needs to be said back if anything or should I just shut up you know <laughs> very good okay I think that's a good place to end it okay there you go. thanks for being on it man <laughs> Thanks again for listening, everybody. For me, this series is a labor of love. My goal is to help document the making of jazz history in this moment. If you have any suggestions about who you would like to hear on this show, drop me a line at my website, nicholascrolak.com, or on Instagram at nicholas underscore Thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon.